Good morning. My name is Peter. Uh, glad to be here with you today as we open up God's word. Maybe it's the fact that I have three kids now, or maybe it's my increasing lower back pain, but I'm beginning to realize that I'm getting old. <laughs> Even at just 34, I've already finding, I'm already finding myself starting to wonder, what kind of a life do I want to live? What kind of a legacy do I hope to leave behind? What kind of stories will they share about me when I'm gone? And will they be ones I'm proud of? And I've noticed I'm not alone. Because whether 34 or 94, whether in Kansas City or Jersey City, whether in North America, South America, Australia, Africa, there comes a time when we all die. But to quote William Wallace from the classic Braveheart, every man dies, but not every man really lives. And you can know that we obsess over whether or not we've really lived by the number of regrets that we often hear shared about as we get older. Things like, I should have spent more time with my family. Or, you know, could have really made a real difference if I tried. Or what might have happened if I fill in the blank. Regrets on our deathbeds, grieving dreams that of what might have been. What does it mean to live a full life? To live life to the fullest. I recently posed this question on my social media accounts and quickly received a flurry of responses. It includes uh, playing to your strengths, cultivating meaningful relationships, enhancing your career field with your unique perspective. Others said living for others. Someone else said laughing a lot. Others more famously have tried to answer the same question as well, but whether it's Eleanor Roosevelt's sentiments on newer and richer experiences or George Bernard Shaw's selfless resolution to uh, be used up for a mighty cause, each are just attempts at trying to live out what Adlai Stevenson summarized so well, that it's not the years in our life, but the life in our years that counts. But pithy, clever, cute little wordplay aside, what happens when all of our attempts to add something of value to our chosen fields don't stick? What happens when we leverage our lives for causes that don't pan out? What if every ounce of effort and every resource we poured into somebody else ends up being forgotten or taken for granted? What if the retirement we build up ends up being cut short by a deadly diagnosis? What if our life, for one reason or the next, comes to an abrupt halt? Is it still possible to live a full life? And if so, how? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. And to help us, we're going to consider the life of a man named Stephen, which you can find in Acts chapter 6 and 7. Please turn there with me. Acts chapter 6 and 7. Chapter 6 opens with a complaint that's made by some people in need who are being neglected. But the church intervenes by commissioning seven trustworthy individuals to stand in the gap. Acts chapter 6 verse 5 lists them for us. 
and tells us that first on the list is none other than our boy Stephen. Stephen, who's described here as a man full, say that word with me, full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 then adds, he is full, next verse, of grace and power, doing great wonders and signs among the people. So here's Stephen. He is graceful, he is powerful, he is faithful and full of the Spirit of God. But then verse 9 comes in and introduces us to some new characters in our story. Then some of those, it says, who belonged to the synagogue of the freed men, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Have you ever been in the presence of someone who so embodied wisdom that it left you overwhelmed. That's what's happening here. So they try and they stir up the people and they, they set them up with false witnesses against Stephen and they make all these accusations. And yet in the midst of such opposition, verse 15 tells us that gazing at Stephen, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. For that to be said of us. And then chapter seven picks up with a question about the lies and false claims of this mob-like justice. The high priest asks Stephen, are these things so? Meaning, is any of this true? <laughs> is any of this true, what they're saying about you? Now, you're going to have to read it on your own. Hopefully you did. Um, but, the, but Stephen breaks into a beautiful and profound summary of the story of God because it turns out that along with being graceful and faithful, we discover 50 verses later, five zero verses later, that Stephen is also wordsful too. <laughs> but I'm kidding a little bit, but clearly he is truthful, right? He's truthful, filled with such a knowledge of God's word that nothing is left to be said. He begins with Abraham, the patriarch, goes into his story of his lineage, his sons, Isaac, and, and then Jacob, and then down to Joseph, and he tells of Moses. Stephen continues. He talks about Joshua and David and onward, all the while making a single point that we see clearly in verse 51. Look at this. He says to them, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Here's what he's saying. He's like, just as the people of Israel resisted God's work through Moses and Abraham and the rest in the Old Testament, you are doing the very same thing today. You're not recognizing God's work happening around you. You're not perceiving the sound of his voice and the whispers of his heart as he works in the here and now through the Holy Spirit. As your fathers have done, so do you, always resisting the Holy Spirit. Now, as you might imagine, this was not received very well. <laughs> Verse 54 now, when they heard these things, they were enraged 
and they ground their teeth at him. Have you, can you even picture someone becoming so outraged, like Hulk style, that they like grind their teeth? That's what's happening here. And my question is, how full of hatred and animosity and fear must a person be to get to that point of anger? While talking with my wife, Grace, this week, she pointed out something fascinating that Luke, the writer of Acts, seems to be doing here. Because throughout the first seven chapters of Acts, we've been introduced to two groups of God followers. One set who have embraced the revelation of who God is in Jesus, and they have become Christians. And the other who have rejected Jesus. Two sets of God followers, yet look at how different their lives appear to be. Three quick examples. Acts chapter 4, we're told about a time Peter and John are going, talking about Jesus. And verse 1 says, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. And it says they are greatly annoyed. Not the apostles, but this, the, the, the priests, they're, they're greatly annoyed. Then as the word of God continues to spread and people are coming to faith in Jesus, chapter 5, 17 says, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and it says, filled with jealousy, they arrest the apostles and put them into public prison. The story rounds out a few verses later. God miraculously releases the apostles from prison and then the priests and the officers have to find a way to deal with them again. So verse 26 adds, then the captain with the officers went and brought the apostles, but not by force, for they were afraid. They were fearful of being stoned by the people. So this other group, we see that they're annoyed, they're jealous, they're fearful. These are the words used to describe the one group of God followers. But contrast that again with what we saw of Stephen. He's faithful, graceful, powerful, spirit-filled. And what dawned on my wife and I as we're talking through these contrasting lists, it's not about learning to live a full life, but learning to realize what kind of a full life are we living. See, we are all filled with something. We can live a life full of rage, or we can live a life full of grace. We can live a life full of fear, or we can live a life full of faith. The question really isn't, how do I live a full life? No, the better question is, what kind of full life am I living? What is my life, what is your life filled full of? Every morning when I wake up, the first thought on my mind is coffee. Not super spiritual, I know, but I'm human, okay? If we can't be honest in church, what are we doing here, right? So coffee goes through my mind. So every morning when my alarm goes off and I snooze it a few times, I'm, I'm just, but you know, I eventually make my way downstairs. I, I used to work at a coffee shop, so I grind the coffee. I'm a little bit of a snob in that way. So I grind the coffee beans in the morning. I know it's a mess. It wakes everyone up, but it's what I do. And then I get the water going. I got the filter and the, you know the rest, hopefully, if you're a coffee drinker. If you're not, we'll talk about salvation later. But from time to time, because it's early morning 
and I'm not quite seeing straight yet, and maybe because I'm a little bit of a klutz, okay, I sometimes find that as I'm carrying my coffee cup, I just kind of do my thing, and I bump my hand against the wall, and then out spills the precious nectar of the gods known as coffee. I know what you're thinking. It's the wall's fault, right? (laughs) Probably not. Well, then clearly it's my fault. Not even. I didn't spill coffee because of the wall, and I didn't spill coffee because I'm a klutz. I spilled coffee because there was coffee in my cup. If I had tea in my cup, I would have spilled tea. If I had milk in my cup, I would have spilled milk. But because there's coffee in my cup, when my cup was shaken, out spills coffee. And the question we have to chew on this morning is what is in your cup? What's in my cup? The priests and the officers and the Sadducees, all self-proclaimed men of God, what do we see spilling out of them? Their traditions are being tested, their positions are, are being challenged, and all we see from them is fear, jealousy, and rage. And yet, here's Stephen, and he's being faced with tremendously great opposition, and watch how he responds. Verse 55, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he says, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Same situation. One group is enraged, the other engaged in hope-filled wonder and peace through a clear vision of Christ on the throne. Verse 57, but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at Stephen. And then they cast him out of the city to stone him. Stoning was a gruesome way to die. Depending on the day, you'd either be pelted with heavy stones by a mob of people like it's dodgeball, Or you would worse off be thrown off a cliff and then have a massive boulder rolled on top of you. Given that it says they cast him out of the city and Jerusalem's at the highest point, I can't help but think it might have been the latter. And yet look at Stephen's incredible response again. This is verse 59. And as, not before, not after, but as they were stoning Stephen... He calls out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. They have been spiteful, vengeful, hateful. Stephen has been powerful, graceful, and now we find prayerful and ready to forgive. What a contrasting display of fullness from both parties, right? Both parties, but we've, because as we've seen already, the question isn't how do we live a full life, but what kind of full life are we living? So back to our question, what's in your cup? Well, consider, 
What spills out of you when you're cut off on the highway? And what spills out when your toddler repeats back what you accidentally slip? (laughs) What spills out when someone disagrees with you? What spills out when your employees mess up? What spills out when you're receiving that dreaded diagnosis? Or what spills out when you're alone in your room at night on your phone? What spills out when yet another person has something to ask for, something they need? Or what spills out when your colleague gets that promotion over you? What spills out? You don't have to wait until you're on your deathbed to know whether or not you're living a full life. We've seen our lives are full, period. But what is our life full of? We can know by the overflow. We can know by whatever we find spilling out when our life is shaken. I want to share something that I think we need to grapple with as the people of God. When we consider the church today, do you think we tend to look more like Stephen, full of grace, full of truth, full of wisdom, full of forgiveness and patience and so on? Or does the church today appear to be more fearful, more jealous and anxious, outraged at a culture around us that is shifting. Ask anyone in the world today who isn't a follower of Jesus about their impression or their perception of what Jesus' followers are like, what do you think they would say about us? We have to be willing to take an honest look at ourselves here. When we are shaken, individually or as a church, when we are shaken, what spills out? And what does that say about what we've been taking in? Because every one of us is living a full life. And so what's it full of? And what is it that keeps us full full of the right things? What keeps us actually from being filled with the right things? Let me say it that way. What keeps us from being filled with the right things? The answer is actually in our text. Stephen said it to them, verse 51. Let's take a look there again. He says, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. When we resist the continual filling of the Holy Spirit, we quickly discover ourselves being filled with other things. You find a great list of both kinds of fullness from uh, Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look there. Verse 5 lists out what spills out when we are not filled with the Spirit of God. It says sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. It continues, verse 8, anger, malice, rage, slander, filthy language from our lips, and lying. Evaluate your life over the last month, even over the last week. Do you see things like this list here spilling out of your own heart, out of your own mouth, out of your own lives? And then contrast that with what we see a life filled with the Spirit to look. Verse 12, same chapter. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with each other and forgiving each other. If any of us has grievance against someone else, forgiving as the Lord forgave and over all these virtues putting on Love. The same writer of Colossians refers to these two lists as 
living in the flesh, meaning in our own strength, according to our sin, or living in the spirit. And he makes it practical when he says this in Galatians 5.16. He writes, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we are ready to wean ourselves off of a life full of rage and bitterness and malice and fear and trade it for the life that the Spirit of God has for us that overflows with kindness and patience and humility and love, then the answer is right here. Walk by the Spirit. So you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. Stephen said it like this in chapter 7. He says, stop resisting the Holy Spirit. To stop resisting means to surrender. To surrender instead and walk in the spirit. If I'm going to ensure that my coffee, my, my, my cup is filled with coffee, I have to surrender it. I need to place it underneath the coffee pot. If I'm not putting my cup in positions of filling, chances are I'm gonna end up being filled with something else. I have to surrender. We have to surrender to the spirit. But how? How do we surrender to the Spirit? First, surrender in the small moments. Surrender the small moments. As we saw in chapter 6 of Acts, when a need was presented to the church, the church presented Stephen as first of a list of qualified leaders to spearhead the endeavor. But there's quite a wide gap, don't you think, between that service project and this standoff with the religious elite coming at him, directly opposing him, right? But it's the thousand little moments beforehand of surrender that prepared Stephen for what he was about to do. Paul David Tripp says it this way. You don't live life in big moments. You live life in the utterly mundane the character of a life is set in 10,000 little moments, not big moments. He's talking about the mundane of brushing our teeth or taking out the trash or how we respond when we're caught in our sin. Do we hide it in secrecy or do we confess and surrender back to Jesus? And then he wraps up with this mic drop of a line. He says, if God doesn't rule your mundane, then he doesn't rule your life. Give that man another mic, he just dropped his. If God doesn't rule the mundane of our lives, the ordinary moments of our lives, then can we really say we're letting God rule our life? So surrender in the small moments and then watch how the Holy Spirit fills you. Surrender the small moments of when we first wake up and our instinct is to grab our phone, but instead we open our Bible app so that the first filter on our day is the lens of God's word. And watch how that replaces your inner angst with a calming peace. Surrender the small moments of sitting at a traffic light. I hate sitting at a red light. If I could do anything else but sit at a red light, I would. But let's convert that stuckness that we feel into a stillness before the Lord and then laying at his feet the things that are weighing us down, the things our minds are on. Can we watch how that expands our capacity for patience 
in the waiting. Surrender the small moments of right before we bite into lunch at work, knowing that others may or may not be watching, but let's turn toward God in a moment of silent prayer and watch how that small act of boldness opens us up to a larger sense of boldness to share about Christ another day. Surrendering the small moments of clearing out the leftovers from our fridge on trash day. What if we turn those into moments of gratitude for having more than enough to eat and watch how that expands our capacity to live more simply. Or surrendering the small moments of relational conflict, choosing to remember how Christ forgave us of our sins and how that fills us with the grace to extend forgiveness to those who have hurt us and watch how God uses that small act of forgiveness to expand our heart to trust again. Surrendering the small moments because it's in the small moments that the spirit of God fills us up. And along with this, surrendering the big vision for our life. Surrendering our big vision. All kinds of TED Talks on this. What's the vision for your life, right? What's your why? What wakes you up in the morning or what keeps you up at night? What is your vision for life? Well, here's Stevens, back to chapter 7 of Acts, looking now at verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, It says he gazed into heaven and he saw with his eyes Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Here we find connected two ideas, both the filling of the spirit and the filling of our vision with the exalted Christ. When we lose sight of Christ on the throne, that is when we lose our minds over what's happening around us. But the vision of Christ enthroned is what fills Stephen and fuels him for the supernatural response of radical grace and boldness needed to endure his own hour of suffering. And there is one other place that in scripture that connects the vision of Christ enthroned with this kind of spirit-filled overflow. It's Colossians 3, which we looked at just earlier, contrasting the life of bitterness or, or a life of forgiveness. Here's what's insane though. Look at this. The writer sets it up with this image, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And then he repeats, set your minds on things above, not on things of earth. Now I've heard this verse quoted my whole life. Don't lose your head. Keep your mind on things above. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? And it's like for the first time in my life this week, while preparing this message, God blew open wide the doors of how to actually do this. Because the person who wrote this incredible passage from Colossians 3 was there in Acts. Acts chapter 7, verse 58, look at this. It reads, Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul, we find in Acts chapter 1, 8 verse 1, is the one who approves of Stephen's execution. Saul, 
we discover in Acts chapter 9, ends up having his own conversion, his own encounter with the risen Christ, and in turn gets renamed from Saul to Paul. And Paul is sent as an apostle to plant churches and write letters like Colossians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and all kinds of letters to encourage and build up the churches all around the world that he used to persecute because we see it in chapter 7, right? He used to be an enemy of Christ. He's the one giving the thumbs up on Stephen's murder. And yet, as he watches this scene of Acts chapter 7 unfold, I believe something's happening inside of him because he's watching someone fill their vision so full of Christ on the throne, exalted to the Father's right hand, his heart, his mind set on things above that Stephen cannot possibly help but respond with such a boldness and such a radical grace. Lord, do not lay this sin against them, forgiving as Christ forgave And I cannot help but wonder if this scene helped it click for Saul. That until our vision for life is nothing other than Christ enthroned, something else will always claim the throne for us. And our sense of fullness and security and stability will always be only tethered to whether or not we see that thing, whatever it is, up on its pedestal. That thing is on the throne for us. And when that thing gets knocked down, we get knocked down. What is that thing for you? But then contrast that when our fullness becomes so tethered to Christ on the throne and we can continually, consistently keep that vision in view, nothing will shake us. Nothing will break us. Nothing will rock us so deeply and cause us to stumble because Jesus never falls off of his throne. Can I get an amen on that one? Jesus never falls off of his throne. Leaders will fail you. Politics, ideologies will fail you. Job security and family will fail you. Your friends will fail you. Your dreams will fail you. Your pursuits, you will fail you. But Jesus never falls off of his throne. Amen. Do I believe that? Are you, are we so surrendered to the lordship of Christ that he is the one who fuels us and fills us full and nothing else? Or are we filling our lives full with something else? What's in our cup? We can know by what spills out. Saul watched firsthand as what spilled out of Stephen's fullness was the fragrance of Christ, and it left such a mark on him. Can you imagine the stories that will be shared of transformation one day? If we as the church embodied the same kind of fullness that even opponents of Christ would find themselves down the road becoming the very ones to die for the sake of Christ and build up his body, what a story that would be. What a story that is. Oh, that God would do that in us. As he has done before, would he do it again? That we would be a people who are broken and spilled out in such a way that it heals the world. If only we would surrender. Now, you may be wondering, Peter, I want to surrender. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to live fully for him, but I just don't know how it all is supposed to fit together. 
I don't really understand how it's possible. There's just not enough time in the day, you know? My life is so full already. How can I surrender? If that's you, I want to share an illustration with you that I think may help. This mason jar represents your life. And the sand here represents all the small little moments that fill our days and our weeks and our months and our years. And and these balls here represent all of our big visions for our life. Things like getting married or being the first to graduate college in our family or advancing in our career field or whatever else it might be. Small moments come in, they kind of fill, fill us full. Then we've got these big dreams. I, I want to graduate college. I want to, you know, make, make a difference in the world. I want to this, I want to that, I want to this, I want to that. And eventually we find, and we, we can hardly fill the whole thing full, right? It doesn't even fit in. Best we try, we can't. We can't seem to. We try, and then some well-meaning preacher comes in and says, oh, you know what, you got to put Jesus. This is a J for Jesus. you got to put Jesus at the center of your life. And you're like, where does he fit? Where does he fit? <laughs> There's no room left. And some of us wonder why the world around us can't seem to see Jesus in us. And it's no wonder We've crowded him out. But there's another way. There is another way. And it's the invitation before us today. The invitation before us is to start with Jesus. Jesus at the center. And we find that he gives us the kinds of dreams we should be pursuing, the types of long-term goals we should be setting. And we discover, too, that as the reality of life hits and the little things in this world, they, they pile up these little moments, these little moments, they just keep coming. These little moments, they keep coming and we keep living our life. We discover somehow He makes a way. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus didn't come to take away your life, but to give you life, to give you abundant life, a life to the fullest. And so the invitation before us today is simple. Continue to resist or make today the day that you surrender and let Jesus be the one who fills you full. Today can be that day for us. Because in a moment we're gonna pray and I wanna give us an opportunity to respond because maybe you're here and you've been following Jesus for 30 years but you know that something has shifted inside. He's no longer at the center but you really want him to be. 
And maybe you're here after years of being away, or maybe you're here for the very first time. You've never once sat in a, in a service quite like this before. Whatever the case, you know that Jesus is the one knocking at the door of your heart. You can feel the pounding. And so whoever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, Jesus says the same words over you. And it's the words of come to me, all who are weary and burdened, all who feel empty and overwhelmed, I will give you rest. And he will. And so if you're here today and you're ready to surrender to Jesus, to to let him be the one who fills you full, then I invite you now to stand. To stand up in this moment, right now, right where you are, because it doesn't matter who's around you. It doesn't matter who's watching. It doesn't matter if you're the first first time guest or a leader in the church today. This is between you and Jesus. And so as a physical act of surrender, I invite you now to stand and I wanna pray over you. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters right here who are standing here today and I stand with them. I pray that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. May they breathe deeply of your grace and your kindness, of your presence and your power, your compassion and your love so that it expels all fear and rage and shame from outside of them. Lord Jesus, be the center of our lives. We give you control. And as we see you now high and lifted up, we surrender all that we are, all that we have and all that we hope to be to you, King Jesus. And we hope that as you expand our faith and move us into a life that is filled with you, I pray that you would move in us and work through us as your instruments, Lord that we would find many turning to you to find the same abundant life that we have found in you. Thank you, God, for all that you have done. Thank you, God, for all that you will do as you fill us with your Holy Spirit. This we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. If you stood for prayer this morning, I would love to talk with you on the side here, to pray with you, to celebrate with you. May God fill us as his church with his Holy Spirit. Amen.